Hello! On this week's episode of Midlife AF, we are going to talk about authenticity versus attachment. So authenticity is our being who we really are and being okay with it, being our true selves and it being delightful, if a little bit terrifying. Now, when I talk about attachment, we're going to talk a little bit about attachment theory. We're going to talk about a little bit about how the personality is formed, how all our adaptive behaviors come about, why they come about, why the Philip Larkin poem, They Fuck You Up, Your Mom and Dad, is 100% correct and will apply to us as much as it applied to our parents. And nine times out of 10, that is nothing any of us can do about that. That is almost just let that be. It's like we're going to do our best, but in our society, we are never going to be able to protect our children from feeling in some way that there is a, they they have to change themselves in order to fit in. Um, Because the way that our culture works is very different to the way that the culture that our species um, evolved in for hundreds of thousands of years before the last 200 years when we have evolved like massively. Um, And it talks about how, you know, the need to belong is so important. The need to fit in is so important to us as humans and how that can take us away from being our precious selves. And the wonder and the beauty of this journey is about rediscovering who that person is inside you, that amazing vital potential. So without further ado, over to me. If you're a woman in midlife whose intuition is telling you that giving booze the elbow might be the next right move, then Midlife AF is the podcast for you. Join counsellor, psychotherapist, this naked mind and grey area drinking alcohol coach Emma Gilmore for a weekly natter about parenting quirky teens, menopause, relationships, and navigating this thing called midlife alcohol-free. If you're feeling that life could be so much more, that you're sick and tired of doing all the things for everyone else, if your intuition is waving her arms manically at you saying, it could all be so much easier if we didn't have to keep drinking, come with me. Together we'll find our groove without booze. Everybody, great to see you. Great that you're here. I'm afraid I had a couple of weeks off recording potties, which isn't like me. I'm normally pretty consistent, but I just need a little bit of a break from things. We had a lot of stuff going on at home. Um, just way, way too many things. <laughs> um, but the great thing about it is, is it just continuously reminds me of why I'm so happy and grateful to be alcohol free because it's so much easier to deal with the lifey stuff life throws when you're able to be present to it. Now, those of you who are watching me on video will see (laughs) that I have a rather ridiculous head gear set up. And that is because I am having a photo shoot for my next launch on Monday and I'm drying my hair. 
And so in the ever true, authentic Emma fashion, I am showing up exactly as I am because otherwise we just don't get stuff done, right? So, so authenticity versus attachment, really, really, really interesting. And funny enough, I've got on my desk here, Brené Brown's beautiful book, The Atlas of the Heart. And she, one of my favorite pages on this is her page about fitting in versus belonging. And it's so, it's so meaningful to me in so many ways. So these are some of the quotes for the differences between fitting in and belonging. Belonging is being somewhere where you want to be and they want you. Fitting in is being somewhere where you want to be, but they don't care one way or another. Belonging is being accepted for you. Fitting in is being accepted for being like everyone else. That's a really important one. And this one is, if I get to be me, I belong. If I have to be like you, I fit in. And I mean, there's so much that we could talk about with this in regards to neurodiversity and children as well. And in Brené Brown's um, book, she does she does quite talk about questions about that. But I think that's a subject for another day. And the reason why I bring this up and the reason why I think it's so important, it was also part of my training that I've been doing with Gabor Barthe this year. And he talks about authenticity versus attachment. And there's a few different concepts in here. It can be a little bit complex. So uh, bear with me while I explain it. So when he talks about authenticity versus attachment, um, what he means is we're born into the world this beautiful essence, this beautiful potential of person. And the world comes along, gives us a few knocks about, tells us that we're not as great as we thought we were, doesn't validate us, and we start to build um, coping mechanisms. We start to build what, a personality. We start to build our personality. And that personality is made up of adaptations that we have created in order to fit in, to belong. To fit in, fitting in and belonging are two different things, but in order to fit in. So authenticity, being authentic is be, being able to be ourselves, right? Be 100% ourselves. And many of us don't even know who that is, and that was certainly me. I had no idea, and I know I've spoken about this before, who I really was because I was being a completely constructed personality in order for me to be acceptable in the world or so I thought because at a young age I'd made the decision that I wasn't I didn't fit in I wasn't quite right I was a little bit different and in order to be successful in the world I needed to change and so I created the personality that I I lived for the majority of my life before stopping drinking. Um, and so 
authenticity to me is the essence of why we're here as a human being we're here to be able to be ourselves and be okay with being ourselves no matter what authenticity is truth and the essence, our essence of self, our soul, whatever you want to call it, soul, blah, 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 whatever, it wants truth. Our personality does not want truth. Our personality is looking to avoid truth. So our essence, our soul, our, you know, our core being, seeks truth our personality our adaptations our protective parts are kind of disassociate from ourself, from our, our true self, our precious self, our essence. And many times Gabor talks about addiction or adaptive, adaptive coping mechanisms, whatever they might be, shopping, working, um, first-person shooter games, booze, drugs, whatever it is. They are a disconnection from self, a disconnection from self. We move away from the truth of ourselves because we want to fit in. And the coping mechanism is something that keeps us safe. It feels like it keeps us safe. It allows us to survive. So every adaptation that we have is a, a, a tool that our brain and our body came up with to keep us safe. So a really good question when you're wanting to stop drinking is to ask yourself, what is this behavior keeping me safe from? What is it that I would have to experience if I wasn't doing this? That is such a good question to ask. And there are so many awesome answers to that. Fascinating, often quite tricky, quite tough to deal with. Because many of us, especially women, have and especially people who are like I always talk about neurodiverse traumatized sensitive again all presenting in the same way have genuinely in fight or flight a lot and have created ways of keeping ourselves safe because we feel threatened, we feel frightened. So that's a little bit about authenticity. 
And then let's talk a minute about attachment. So attachment is where fitting in kind of fits in. So very interestingly, so attachment, those of you who know anything about psychology, I think it was, was it James Bowlby? Someone Bowlby came up with the, um, and, and this stuff's been around for years, um, 50s, 60s, I think, um, came up with the idea of attachment. And so attachment theory is to do with the attachment that we have to our primary caregivers as children. As young children, you know, like before the age of three, but also, you know, later in life as well. And what the main gist of the theory is, and I'll oversimplify it as I do, is that how secure and whole and resilient we go into the world is dependent on how we were received into the world by our caregivers. Now, this can put, bring up all sorts of things in people. So for me, when I first was studying counselling and I started learning all this stuff, I was just devastated because, and I'm sure I've told you this before, like I found that, you know, leaving your baby to cry, which is what I hated doing, but it was what... I was told was I was supposed to do and even though it went against every instinct that I had um that was something that I tried to do with my eldest child didn't do it so much with my younger child but my younger child both my children had problems sleeping and so eventually when we got to Australia I was so tired we went to sleep school and then we did it with my youngest child as well and we were in there for a week me and the two kids learning to sleep. And what that entailed was the little one being in a room by themselves and crying and being my children, <laughs> um, which I now, now, now know in how insight know they're neurodiverse, but they had an ability to. Um, cry for a real time and so obviously I'm like okay so attachment is to do with things like basically the basic concept of it is seeing ourselves reflected in the eyes of our, our caregivers with value so we take our sense of our value in the world with how we are loved and cared for and so if we have a parent who's sick that can be problematic if we have a parent who's um, drinks too much or does drugs or has a mental illness all these things can affect our attachment right and it's it, it's highly unlike it like it's pretty unlikely that as kids we we as parents, we'd get to, you know, we'd, we'd have a perfect score. I think that's the wonderful thing. And I remember seeing Gabor reading that amazing Philip Larkin poem, They Fuck You Up, Your Mum and Dad. Um, and the beauty of that is what he's saying is no matter what we do, we are going to mess our kids up because of the way our world is structured. 
not because that's what we want to do and we've gone out and we're bad people, but because that's the way it was structured. And same with our parents, you know, they did the same things. And, you know, even some of the stuff, you know, a lot of the stuff that our parents have done, they, they did because in their minds at the time and based on the culture that they had, that was what culture, culturally they were told to do. You know, you hear it even now, you know, people... Um, being very harsh with children in terms of their expectations and not mollycoddling them and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's very interesting. Um, particularly, a lot of this stuff's come from, was I reading, I was listening to Gabble this morning actually, and he was talking about indigenous groups and how and I think this was written about the indigenous Indian tribes in North America and I think there had been or maybe it was somewhere else I can't remember but basically there was an explorer and he was saying to he was writing back home and he was writing about how the indigenous tribes never seemed to raise their hands to a child and saying you know this be, this needs to be one of the first things we stamp out because of course that was how the British elite were treated harshly with not very much love and um and so that was what they thought was appropriate behavior and so when they then came to the other countries and um conquered them and did the terrible things that the British did to the indigenous people of those countries. It was founded on a incredibly cruel and un, unhelpful cultural norm. And so It's it's just a really so attachment is difficult to get right now. We don't we shouldn't beat ourselves up for these things because it just kind of is what it is. And knowing that in our cultural culture, we're never going to get it right. And even if we were getting it like ninety nine point nine percent right, we're still going to get some of it wrong because we can't be all the things all the time. It's impossible can't not dig and we, it's very normal to lose our tempers it's very normal to to not get things right to not be able to be 100 percent calm and the you know all the things that you try to be particularly as a parent of neurodiverse kids um but as a parent anyway you know we try and be a sort of like calm place soft place for them to land but we can't be always because other things happen we're human beings right so first of all put aside the guilt for your own children and also give your parents a break too and i'm not saying if they you know if they did terrible things to you then obviously that's not the thing but i mean just you know don't don't make it mean a load of stuff you're not being disloyal to your parents if you recognize that at some point in your life they didn't necessarily mirror your value back to you 
they might not have been there. So, I mean, so many of us have stories, don't we, where, you know, somebody was mean to us at school um, or a teacher was mean to us or somebody, you know, all these different things. I mean, this can be, and I've talked about this before, it can be as simple as we were crying about something and our mum was tired and she didn't pick us up. You know, these sort of things, we don't always get the perfect response. And so as a child, what happens is we, being at the narcissistic development age, we take that upon ourselves and we make it mean there's something wrong with us because it's impossible for us. And I was talking to a friend of mine today about this um, and she had been through um, a domestic abuse at home as a kid and as a kid, it's impossible for us to believe that our caregivers, like the world is screwed, right? Our caregivers weren't able to look after us properly. Society is not set up to look after us pro properly. It, it, it's incompatible to a small child's brain that that can be the case. And so what we do instead as an, as a narcissistic child, which is, an, which is a development stage, not a narcissistic personality disorder, is we make it something that's wrong with us. So we, so, so, so we don't get the love that we needed in a moment. We don't get the support we needed. We don't get our value thrown back to us. We don't get our value shined back to us in the eyes of another person. As a result of that, we make that mean that there's something wrong with us because that's a much more palatable way of looking at the world than there's something wrong with our caregivers or the world's screwed. And so it's much more palatable for us to think there's something wrong with us because we think that we can fix it, right? And so we spend the rest of our lives trying to fix it. And it's impossible for us to fix it a lot of the time because we don't have the right tools to do it. And so we're trying and we're trying to make everything right. But it's never our, it was never our problem to fix in the first place. It's impossible for us to fix it. So, you know, there's so many adaptations in our society that are considered to be good. So if it's productivity, if it's exercise, it's good. If it's tidying to obsessive tidying, it's good. But if it's drinking and drugs, it's bad. But they're all the part of the same continuum. You know, it's all things that we're doing to escape ourselves. We get something from it. It's a way of running away from ourselves, of not being with ourselves in our distress. And the harder people find it to stop drinking, usually, the more work that needs to be done around how we feel about ourselves. And so to take us back to, and I know this is a complicated concept, and I will dig into this more as we go through. I hope it's interesting. Let me, let me, give me some feedback on this, by the way, because I'm I love this subject. It might be weird for you guys. It might be it might not be interesting. So if attachment is having somebody, is attachment is being connected to our caregivers. And so 
when we choose attachment over authenticity, what we do is we choose to fit in in order to be loved, in order to be taken care of. So where we might be a sensitive kid and we might be crying about stuff, someone says, don't cry, whatever reason we make that mean, that if we cry, we won't be loved. So we stop crying and we start making crying bad. We start making crying bad. And so we start to construct this personality. It's like we talk about shadow work. I'll talk about that in another episode. But it's basically it's often the things we judge others for are things that we've made bad in ourselves based on this construction that we have at a very early age because of something that we did and we got into trouble for. And then we suddenly have like, we become the opposite of that. Like I became to the point where I'd have Myers-Briggs testing at incorporates and I was an ENTJ, which is kind of like the, like the corporate boss, leader, not very caring, judgmental, <laughs> um, person. I mean, that's what I became in order to fit into corporate life. And my body all the time was struggling against it. Like I, I was getting so many messages that I couldn't listen to, that this wasn't actually me, but I, could, I didn't listen to them. I couldn't listen to them. Because then who the hell was I? And this is the thing. So often we've made ourselves bad. We are trying so hard to fit in. So if our parents were like really, really particular about tidying or really, really particular about dieting or really, really, or being slim, um, or, you know, all of these things will impact us and will have, and will become almost our coping mechanism. We construct a personality. I'm very controlled. I'm very organized. I'm very, you know, uh, I keep, I, you know, my, my house is really tidy. Um, but so we construct these things in order to fit in, in order to be set acceptable. And what happens often, there's really big underlying reasons why it's really important to us because culturally, as a tribe, we need to, we want to fit in because we don't want to be thrown out by the tribe because originally we were supposed to be this nomadic, we were these nomadic people and we've evolved massively in the last 100 or 200 years. But before that, for years and years and years, we were these nomadic people and we haven't evolved like biologically and in our brains at the same speed as we've evolved as we um, as 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 our kind of environment has changed. So we now live on our own. We don't have family around. It's very hard for us to give constant care and attention to our babies, to be holding our babies all the time because we don't have the support network around us. We don't have all the mothers and grandmothers and neighbors and everything else. And this is also interesting too. And there's, there's so many different sort of threads around this, but 
there's something I mean there's something very research proven around attachment theory and the more I read about it the more and the more I work with people in this way it becomes so clear to me that especially women I can't speak for men I don't know what it's like to be a man but fitting in is, is a way of surviving for years, I mean, we have intergenerational trauma, not just from our own families, but for our sex, our gender, fluid as that might be now. But we have had to be other than we are in order to be safe. And so this is another reason why it's so important to me that we don't make ourselves bad for using a coping mechanism to keep our precious little selves safe. Yeah. This is why this work is so important and why we need to stop this, this conversation that with this whole alcoholic uh, problem drinking thing, because none of this is actually about that. It's not about alcohol it's not it's about anything that we use to escape ourselves and it's about what happens to us when we have suppressed our needs over a period of time and it's where books like the body keeps the score i think gabor's got another one like the body says no and suppressing our needs like which I did when I was drinking i was continuously drinking to escape the fact that i was not I was not in integrity with myself. I was out of integrity. I was doing things that didn't feel right to me. I felt my relationship was not good. And I felt like I was having to live this life that I didn't want to live. And it felt really and funny enough thinking about it now you know my little feisty 13 year old it felt really out of integrity with who she was like I don't know not standing up when I saw things were wrong um allowing bullies to bully in the workplace um, and there's something about midlife that I think we just get this big wake up call just going, it, you know, that's that inner knowing that little knock on the door that goes, Hey, there's something not quite right. I think you might need to do something about this. And then all of the personality and all this other stuff is going, no, 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 it's fine. And the little voice is going, oh, knock, knock. This doesn't feel right. I feel like, for me, I was like a, a thousand paper cuts is what suppression of self does to people. And I would love to do a PhD on this one day because there's a whole load of stuff in eating disorders, but uh, eating disorder world around it as well. And in Gabor's work too, the suppression of self, it causes a lot of harm. And most of us don't even know that we're suppressing ourselves because we don't even know who ourself is, right? 
We have no idea because we constructed this personality to keep us safe as a very young child. And I think our role is, as an adult, to unpick that so that we can rest, live, the, live the rest of our life as an authentic human being. Really, really shining our freaking fucking light. Stepping into our potential. I mean, last night I went to ecstatic dance. I met Lou, who works with me. Any of you who's worked in my programs know Lou. She's divine. Um, both of us have been going through a lot of stuff lately. And we danced our asses off. It was a completely sober environment. It starts off and you all feel a bit uncomfortable and you'll be a bit like, oh, look at that one or look at that one. But you just, I've been going quite a lot now and I've set up monthly meetups. So if anyone wants to join me, if you go into either Cuppa community or you go into um, Untoxicated, I've posted them for the rest of the year until October. So definitely come along. Um, it also means that I go as well. So, um, but there was just this great potential of humanness there that night. And what it was is this community, and it was just lovely. There's no substances there at all. So, no one drinks, no one is under the influence. There's no phones. You're not allowed to talk. So, you start off and you're all, you know, you've brought your sort of cultural baggage in with you. And then by the end of it, you're just, you're smiling and everybody and just loving each other like you're on drugs, but you're not. And the experience of being together over a night and dancing to big tribal, beautiful dance bits, it starts off slow and gorgeous and it goes into slow and gorgeous. And I, you know, I spent the last five minutes just lying on the floor, just feeling the vibe, and I sound, it sounds crazy, but it's so good. And the goodness of people is there. Like the people there are great. And I don't mean goodness as in like, oh, they've got a really nice house and they, they're perfect children. I mean, like the dirty, messy, sweaty goodness of community and humanness and vitality and potential is there, unsullied and beautiful. And that to me is what this journey is all about. So I hope that made sense. Give me some feedback on this podcast, by the way. This one is a little bit, ooh. Um, but lovely to spend this uh, time with you. And I will see you in the next podcast. All right, my loves. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Midlife AF with Emma Gilmore. If you enjoyed it, please share on Instagram for your friends and tag me at Hope Rising Coaching. If you want to help me grow the podcast, please review the episodes for me on Apple Podcasts. That really helps. If you would like to work further with me, please go to my website, www.hoperisingcoaching.com. For my free and paid programs or email me at emma at hoperisingcoaching.com. Sending a massive cuddle to you and yours from me and mine and remember to keep choosing you. Mm-hmm.